I want you to think about something for just a couple of seconds here. Is there anything in your life that you are ashamed of or embarrassed by? What are you ashamed of? Most people are ashamed or embarrassed by something. Here are just a few things that people can be ashamed of. People generally can be ashamed of their behavior, something that they do, something in their behavior that, hey, I'm, I'm ashamed. People have done something, maybe it's a bad habit, maybe it's a, something you did in your past, something that you did, it's, you're, you're, you're ashamed. People are ashamed or can be ashamed of what they eat. If you're an adult and you're still like, hey, let me eat my mac and cheese and my chicken nuggets and leave me alone, okay? Maybe a little, little bit of shame there. People perhaps are ashamed of some physical trait. People don't like their nose or their hair or their face or whatever. I don't know. I hope you're not ashamed of those things, but those are things that people can be ashamed of. People are often ashamed of pictures of themselves from the 70s. <laughs> you look back through that uh, photo album and you see those big collared shirts with the, you know, the whole thing. Well, I guess you could still rock it probably if you wanted to. There are probably many things that we could be embarrassed by or ashamed of. But I want to submit to us to this morning that there's one thing as believers in Jesus Christ that we should never be ashamed of or embarrassed about. We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. There are those today who seem ashamed of the gospel. People might think that the gospel is something that's not cool, something that needs amended, something that needs some assistance, or maybe they would say it's something, it's just a crutch or something along those lines. People may say it's a crutch for the weak-minded. Others might think we need to water it down a little because the gospel is too hard for people to grasp or too graphic for people to handle. Paul, the apostle, preached otherwise. He said the gospel may seem foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God has placed his power in the saving message of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, where the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. He calls it the testimony of our Lord. Whatever's going on in your life, and we look at all this stuff that's going on, whatever's going on in your life specifically or all of us together with COVID-19, now is not the time to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. You need to realize that God has not given us 
a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Paul gives Timothy, in this passage we're going to look at, he gives Timothy and us two ways that we can live a life that is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, for one, want to live a life where I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First, we need to, to live not ashamed. We need to share in the sufferings of Christ. And second, we just need to know God. We need to see and know the God who we have believed in. If we will do these things, we will live a life according to the power of God, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So first, if you're taking notes there at home this morning, we need to share in the sufferings of Christ. Let's pick it up in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. If we're going to live a life not ashamed of the gospel, if we're going to stand for Christ in this time right now the way that we need to, we need to share in the sufferings for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be first willing to suffer for and endure any potential hardship for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to do. Now, a lot of people might try to get you signed up for the gospel by, by saying, by laying out a primrose path. Hey, everything's going to be great. But you know what? There's a calling. The calling to the Christian, the calling to the one who would be a Christian is a, a calling to come and to share in the sufferings of Christ. For, for the Bible tells us that if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we will also share in his glory. Amen? So if we want to share in his glory, he invites us to come along to share in his sufferings as well. Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you. You think about what Jesus did for you and I. He went to the cross for us. And the question is, are we, we willing to take up our cross and follow him? Our, take up our cross for him? This is the idea. This is how we know Christ, that we share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul, the apostle, shared in the sufferings of Christ. You cannot read any of, the, any of Paul's letters without coming to an understanding of how he shared in the sufferings of Christ. Paul was held in a Roman prisoner, yet he called himself Christ, uh, he called himself Christ prisoner. He was in a Roman prison, but he, he called himself, he referred to himself as Christ prisoner. He's a prisoner for Christ's sake. It was, it, was, it, was, it was God who was working in him. It was God who was putting him in situations and bringing about an opportunity for the gospel to be revealed in him. With this reminder 
of Paul's com, com, uh, condition, uh, he gives us a command not to be ashamed, not to uh, be uh, ashamed of suffering for the gospel or being in any way put out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul exhorted Timothy here to be courageous, to not be ashamed for suffering for the gospel. Paul tells Timothy and us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul told the Roman church, as I referenced earlier, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. Now the question is why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? When you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you think about Jesus who came into this world, died on a cross for, for, for my sin, for your sin, and, and loves you so much and, and wants you to, to accept the free gift of, of forgiveness, of salvation, and of eternal life in him, why would anybody want to, to be ashamed of that? The answer to that question might be answered with this story. Years ago, the former wrestler and former governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura, you remember this guy? He's still out there. And he gave an interview in a magazine. And it received, he made some very controversial statements in this particular uh, interview. And in the interview, Ventura said uh, this about religion. He said, religion is a crutch for the weak. Now I wanna, I wanna just kinda just deal with that for a second, okay? Because a lot of people will say religion is a crutch or Jesus is a crutch or all that Christianity stuff is a crutch. And I wanna suggest this this morning that if he was referring in, in any way to Christianity, that I'm going to go ahead and agree with Jesse the body this morning. I'm going to go ahead and agree with him. You say, what? Agree? Agree with Jesse the body Ventura that Christianity could possibly be a crutch? That the gospel is a crutch? God's intervention through Christ is a crutch for the weak. One needs a crutch because he cannot get where he wants to go without it. He may try to limp along. He may try to uh, grovel and, and, and crawl on his knees, but he's going to come up short of his goal. In the same way, a Christian cannot be saved without the gospel of Jesus Christ. A Christian, a person cannot be saved without intervention, the intervention of Christ. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, back a few years ago, a Christian band played up this sentiment by naming themselves Thousand Foot Crutch. So you want to think of a crutch. Now, I, I, I've been on crutches. Any of you been on crutches before? I know what it's like to, to limp around on some crutches. I don't know how tall they were. I'm six feet tall. The crutches were probably like, you know, three or four feet tall. Of course, they were probably adjustable, but you could only adjust them up to a certain height. This band named themselves Thousand Foot Crutch. Because a three foot, four foot, or whatever type of crutch wouldn't even do the deal. The chasm, the, the, the ability for us to get where we need to go, where we want to go, where we want to get to eternal life, where we want to get to God, we couldn't get there. We didn't need a one foot, two foot, three foot crutch. We needed a thousand yes. foot crutch. And I like how they put that. 
once we realize that we can't even limp into heaven without Jesus, we should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we should also be willing to share in the sufferings of Christ. We should be willing to endure whatever God, whatever would come our way and, and in, in his will and in his timing, whatever would, would, uh, would come about in our lives, knowing that God is with us, that God is going to be with us, that he cares for us, that he's going to see us through. He's going to bring us through. Amen. The idea of the language of sharing in the sufferings is, is this, it's to bear evil treatment along with, to take one's share of ill treatment. Now, I remember just as you go through the gospels and you come to those accounts where Jesus is literally, um, he's, he's coming before Pilate, he's coming before the, the, the high priest and they're spitting on him, they're slapping at him, they're mocking him. And then of course, Pilate has him scourged. Can you imagine all these sufferings that Christ endured for our sake? He invites us to endure the sufferings that we may go through because Christ is working in us a powerful, powerful thing. He's doing an amazing thing in us. And so whatever might come my way, I wanna just endure that suffering, endure the sufferings with Christ because I know the promise is sure that if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. Now, Paul lived this. The apostle Paul lived this. He believed this. The question is, are you living it? This morning, am I living it? Do you believe it like the Apostle Paul did? Look at what he said. Look at what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He said this, Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that's a verse of scripture that you have to like this morning, you have to just kind of pause right there and take that one in. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities. You see, this is the perspective of the Christian. This is the perspective that the person who's been saved, that has had the power of the gospel impact our lives, that we come to this whole thing. We come to COVID-19 with a completely different perspective than anyone else on the face of the earth. The apostle Paul says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches and needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. And, how, and what's he saying? Because we're strong in the power of Christ. We're strong in the power of Christ. Now, how is that? How is that? Because people are dying, right? People are dying. Here's the key. The Christian no longer has a perspective of only the temporal world. We don't have the limited perspective of only the temporal world. When you came into the kingdom, when you gave your life to Christ, your timeline just went whoo, yeah. out here. And so you are no longer bound to this temporal world. You're no longer bound to this temporal timeline. And so I come to this whole thing this morning with a different perspective. And if Paul was here, he'd be saying the same thing, amen? Are, are we then embarrassed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in any way in our lives? 
We show that we are ashamed of Christ. I want to give you some ways that people demonstrate that they're actually ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Christ. When we know no one, when we hope no one will think we are Christians. We're in a setting. We hope no one will think that we're Christians. Now, I want, I want people to know I'm a Christian. I want, I want people to know where my faith is, where my allegiance is, amen? amen? When we decide not to speak up for what's right. You know, it's difficult to, st st to step up and speak up for what's right. The, 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 it's, it's always easier to sit in the background instead of speak up and say, no, I want to speak up for what is right. When we're silent about our relationship with God, when we simply blend into the society or the culture, we accept our culture's non-Christian values. Now, I believe that 2020 and where we are with COVID-19, now is the time, Christian, to set all that aside, all those types of things. Now, more than ever, now is the time to set all those things aside and for the Christian community to shine the light of Jesus and live and proclaim the gospel like never, ever before. And I want to give us a list of things that we can do to live a, a, an unashamed life, a life that's unashamed of the gospel. I want to encourage you to live a moral, upright, Christ-honoring life. We shine the light of Jesus and we are not ashamed of the gospel by, saying, by living, by determining we're going to live for Jesus in this world. Look for opportunities to share your faith with others. Now, I know it's difficult during this time because we're not getting together physically. But now, right now, this is a time when so much is happening online. But it's not just Facebook and things, the easy things. There's all kinds of ways through Messenger and all kinds of, 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 of avenues and angles to, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's still a little, little thing called the phone, a little simple phone call, right, where we can talk. We can help others in need. Later, we're going to be uh, here at the church uh, accepting soup and bread to bring to uh, one of our local soup kitchens. But you can look for other ways to help others in need. To love others. To acknowledge our loyalty to Christ. To let people know that we're loyal to, loyal to Christ. To use our lives and resources to carry out God's desires and the purpose of his kingdom. So I want to encourage you in those areas. We've got to realize what God has done in our lives. We've got to realize what has transpired in our lives with the power of the gospel, the power of Christ, what it's accomplished in our lives. If we look back at the passage Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, of his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has been given to us in Christ before time began. First, God has saved us. God has saved us. Now, I, Paul was so sure of his, our, his salvation, and I want, I want you to understand how he said this. He said this in 
in the sense that his life was saved, that his life is saved. It's not going to be saved. We're not hoping to be saved at some point, but we have an understanding that we are saved. Do you have that assurance of your salvation? If you don't have that assurance of your salvation this morning, you need to come back to the basics of the gospel because if you allow the gospel truly to come into your life, if you let Christ come into your life, you can be sure of your salvation. And if you're sure of your salvation, I don't think anybody who's sure of the saving power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel can possibly end up being ashamed of the gospel and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we got to realize that God has saved us. Second, God has called us to holy living. Look at that. Uh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not a call according to our works, but according to his own. What's this holy calling? First of all, it's that Jesus has saved us and he's forgiven us and he's wiped our slate clean. And, 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 and it's because of what he did. It's, it's not of our works, but it's because of what he did on the cross that our slates have been totally uh, wiped clean, we're cleansed, we are forgiven. And the response to God's grace, the response to that salvation is then to turn around and live for Christ. You know, it's, it's, it's in these uh, letters to Timothy that Paul actually says it's the grace of God that teaches us how to live in a corrupt world. It's grace that teaches us. It's not grace that gives us license to live. However, it's the grace of God that teaches us how to live for him. Amen. He's called us with, uh, God has called us to holy living. And then just simply realizing what the power of the gospel actually has done. Look at that verse. Go back to the passage uh, Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's abolished death. He's brought immortality to light. This is what Christ has done. It's not, it's been said, you may even have seen this out on uh, Instagram or Facebook, the, the, the gospel of Christ is not about God making people better, bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. Amen? And so that's the power of the gospel, abolishing death. So we have no fear. We have no fear in this thing. We've, we, we haven't been given a spirit of fear. We've been given the power of Christ. We've been given the power of the gospel in this situation. And Paul goes on. He says, this is what I teach. This is what I preach. I'm a, I'm a preacher. Verse 11. I was appointed to, to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, the question, the, the, the question, this is an interesting question. I find it interesting that there are three subjects that everyone wants to talk about in church. Everyone wants to hear teaching on about three subjects. Marriage, 
emotions or, 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 you know, issues like that. And money matters. Because these are issues that everyone deals with. We're dealing with marriage issues or emotional issues or problems with money. And certainly the Bible talks about all those things and deals with all those things and gives teaching to all those things. But if you look at Paul's writings, if you look at even the, the, the writings of the other New Testament writers, those are things that they get to after they spend half the time talking about the power of the gospel. Look, I've been through Ephesians multiple times. I've been through Romans. I've been through these books. More than half the book is about, here's what Jesus did for you. Here's the power of the gospel. Here's what, what has impacted your life, Christian. There's now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He spends all, the, all this time, even in, even in Ephesians, and then he gets, and then he, boom, he starts hitting like, you know, your work life and your married life and your kids and all those things. And here's the point. Here's why I think that is. Oh, here, I, I, I want to actually read this verse of scripture back in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, because this is a chapter where Paul is actually dealing with specifically the topic of marriage. And then when he gets down into it, then he says this, beginning at um, 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 29, he says this, but this I say, brothers, that the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. I think there's something to the idea of the power of the gospel that takes a superiority in terms of our perspective and our life and what it's done to our lives. And, and, and when we realize what the power of the gospel has done in our lives, some of these issues that we allow to become so grievous issues in our lives need to, need to take their place and to, act, to be quite honest, fall in order of the, of the gospel order that's come into our lives. So he says, look, It's, it, it, he's not saying, you know, don't cry or don't be filled with joy. But he's saying there's, there's, there's a message of the gospel that, that has come your way. The reality is that the power of the gospel is alive in you. The power of Christ is in you. And it's superior. This is superior to these things. And if we'll let the power of the gospel work, it will set right any problem that we might have in these other issues and concerns. And then it's really a question of what you major in, Christian. Sometimes I think I've been around Christians. They're Christians, but they major in their problems. And they minor in the gospel. And what I think Paul's saying here is, let's flip that. Let's major in the gospel. And let's realize that our problems are subservient to that. And we'll fall in line when we truly understand and are not ashamed and share in the sufferings 
of the gospel. Amen. And then secondly, to, to this morning, we need to know God. First, share in his sufferings. Second, know God. Let's finish it up with verse 12 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. If we're gonna live a life that is not ashamed of the gospel, then we need to know God. And when I say know God, I mean know God. We need to know the Lord. Well, what exactly does it mean to know the Lord? Paul says, I know whom I have believed in. I know whom I have believed. I want you to circle the word whom in that verse or look at it, meditate on it, highlight it on your app or whatever you got going on there. Paul doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know whom I have believed in. Because we haven't just believed a, 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 a magic reading. We've put our faith in a person. We've put our faith in a person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I know whom I have believed in. I know whom I have trusted. I know whom that I've put my, that I've committed my life to. Amen that I've trusted my life to. When it all comes down, we have got to know the Lord. We've got to trust him. We've got to believe in him. This knowledge of Christ, this intimate knowledge, the, the idea of knowledge in the, in the Bible, whether you're looking at the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek in the New Testament, in the, in the Old Testament, it's the, it's the Hebrew yada right, to know. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word gnosko. And it carries with it the idea of this intimate knowledge, an intimate knowledge of God. And actually, um, the Greek word for know here in verse 12 is the, is the word ido in the Greek. And it means to, to perceive by any, uh, to perceive with the eyes, to perceive by any of the senses, to perceive, to notice, to discern, to discover. To, to, to perceive with any of the senses. And the Bible gives us ways that we can know the Lord. The, 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 the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah uh, 6.1, he says he saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We used to, there was there, about 10, 15 years ago, there was a couple actually really great, great songs that we used to sing, I see the Lord, I see the Lord, right? Because there was an idea of Christians who have seen the Lord, that, we, that our eyes have been opened, that, that, that we have perceived him with the spiritual sight that we've been given. And that's this idea of seeing the Lord. And the question is, have you seen the Lord? Well, there's another way that we can know the Lord. We can hear him. We can have spiritual ears to hear and, and know the Lord in that way. And, and, and we do that by opening up our spiritual ears to hear from the word and hear as he whispers that still small voice. In fact, one of the most famous verses of scripture in the, the 
Old Testament to the Hebrew people. In fact, it's one that they quote. It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The idea is that we're hearing from the Lord. The idea is that, Christian, that we've heard from the Lord. Have you heard from the Lord? If you've, heard, if you've seen the Lord high and lifted up and you've heard from the Lord, then, you know, people who generally have this type of intimate knowledge with God, with Christ, are not ashamed of the gospel. Amen? One of the interesting things about the book of Numbers is that almost every chapter of the book starts with the words, God spoke. God spoke. I remember we were going through the book of Numbers. It was like every, every, almost every chapter, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. The idea is that God is speaking and we need to be listening. Amen. And then tasting. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Have you tasted the Lord? Have you tasted the Lord? You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's, it's, to taste something is actually to experience something. I, we just got a, a, a puppy that we've had in the house for about a month. And, um, you know, she's gotten to know us now. And, and she, I, I think she kind of likes me a little bit. She comes up and sits with me on, my, on my, my seat, my sofa. And she comes up there. And she's recently, just the past few days, she's come up and she has started to, well, she's kind of going through that, like, puppy bitey stage, you know. So we're trying to deal with all that. That's kind of tough. But then she's gotten into the habit. She'll just start licking my hand. And she's getting to know me, right? She's tasting and experiencing me. And that's what we need. The idea of tasting is the idea of experiencing the Lord, is, is, is experiencing the Lord for yourself. Someone can't taste the Lord for you. Someone can't experience the Lord for you. You need to experience the Lord for yourself. And, and then at the end of that verse, and we'll wrap it up this morning, he says, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Paul committed everything to God. The person who commits everything to God is then therefore not a person who becomes ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if, if you are holding back a portion or you've got this over here that's untouchable or you've got some secret stash somewhere, then you might become ashamed of the gospel. But the person who has given it all to Christ, who's given their life and committed everything to Christ is not ashamed. The word committed here that Paul used in the Greek is a word that means to deposit, placing valuables in the hands of a friend. Paul committed his life to the Lord. And I've said it this way uh, before that you know, kind of, we're putting, we're about to come up to Easter next week. It's the idea of, there's an old phrase, putting all your eggs in one basket. And it's in investments, they say that's not a good thing, right? They say when you're investing, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. They bring up this principle of diversification. But let me submit to you this morning that when it comes to your life, when it comes to Christ, when it comes to the gospel, I want to encourage you to put all your eggs in one basket. I want you to get away from diversification. I want you to get all your 
life committed to Christ. Amen? Paul committed everything to the Lord. There's only one question left. My friend, have you committed your life, everything, to Christ, to Jesus Christ? If you have, I want to celebrate that with you right now and encourage you to walk in these things that we've talked about. But if you haven't, if you haven't, you're far away from God, but you want to be close to God. You want to know God. You want to have that everlasting life that Christ promises, and it's available to you through his gospel. I want to invite you to give your life to him right now. First, you need to admit that you're a sinner before him. and Confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And confess him, confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, believing that he was raised from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says you will be saved. And so if you do that, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you commit it all to Jesus, you, the power of the gospel, will be alive and well in you. And I want to encourage you to not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Amen. We love you. Have a great rest of your day. And we are praying for you. Amen.